This is the Bible in one year, day 113. The gracious hand of God. Things happen to us. So much of life is simply the set of circumstances we find ourselves in. For example, our parents, our genetic design, the weather, much of our education and our government are all things that we experience as happening to us. In Greek grammar, these things are expressed in what we call the passive voice. However, we also make things happen. When I initiate an action and do something, this is expressed in the active voice. But Greek grammar also has the third voice, the middle voice. This is neither wholly active nor wholly passive. When I use the middle voice, I am participating in the results of an action. Christian prayer is spoken in the middle voice. It cannot be in the active voice because it's not an action I control as in the ritualistic pagan prayers where the gods do our bidding. Prayer is not in the passive voice either in which I'm at the mercy of the will of gods and goddesses. In Christian prayer, as Eugene Peterson puts it, I enter into an action begun by another, my creating and saving Lord, and find myself participating in the results of his gracious action. In one sense, the whole of the Christian life is prayer. We welcome God's gracious hand in our lives, and we participate in what he is doing in the world. God involves you in his plans. Of course, he could do it all on his own, but he chooses to involve you. He gives you freedom, but he remains in control. From Psalm 50 The Mighty One, God, the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to where it sets. From Zion, perfect in beauty, God shines forth. Our God comes and will not be silent. A fire devours before him and around him a tempest rages. He summons the heavens above and the earth that he may judge his people. Gather to me this consecrated people who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. And the heavens proclaim his righteousness, for he is a God of justice. Listen, my people, and I will speak. I will testify against you, Israel. I am God, your God. I bring no charges against you concerning your sacrifices or concerning your burnt offerings which are ever before me. I have no need of a bull from your stall or of goats from your pens. For every animal of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains, and the insects in the fields are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine, and all that is in it. Do I eat the flesh of bulls, or drink the blood of goats? Sacrifice thank-offerings to God. Fulfill your vows to the Most High and call on me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you will honor me. God will deliver you. For millions of people around the world, the COVID-19 epidemic has been a day of trouble. Now, 
Afghanistan, Ukraine, humanitarian crises, economic hardship. What about you? Are you facing trouble in your life? Worry about your health or the health of your loved ones? A stressful situation at work, a difficult relationship, a financial challenge? God is in utter control of his universe. God the Lord speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to the place where it sets. He owns everything. We may fight and struggle for our little corner and possessions, but in the end, God owns it all. Every animal of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. He is not dependent on human beings. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all that is in it. Nevertheless, he graciously gives you a part to play. First, thank God. Sacrifice thank offerings to God. Second, call on God. Call upon me in the day of trouble. Third, honor God. I will deliver you and you will honor me. I have come back many times to Psalm 50 verse 15. I've called out to the Lord in the day of trouble. It's amazing to look back and see how often his gracious hand has delivered me. Lord, thank you so much for all the wonderful answers to prayer. Now I call upon you again to deliver me. New Testament from Luke 22 Now the feast of the unleavened bread, called the Passover, was approaching, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus, for they were afraid of the people. Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve. And Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. They were delighted and agreed to give him money. He consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it? they asked. He replied, As you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished. Make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup 
is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be greatest. Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you a kingdom, just as my father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the cock crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. Then Jesus asked them, When I sent you without purse, bag, or sandals, did you lack anything? Nothing, they answered. He said to them, But now, if you have a purse, take it, and also a bag. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. It is written, And he was numbered with the transgressors. And I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. Yes, what is written about me is reaching its fulfillment. The disciples said, See, Lord, here are two swords. That's enough, he replied. Your prayers make a difference. Are you sometimes tempted to compare yourself with other people? It's encouraging to see that Jesus' disciples struggled with many of the same things that we do. There is bickering among the disciples over which of them would end up as the greatest. It's always a temptation to compare ourselves with others. This either leads to pride, if we think we're doing better, or jealousy, envy and insecurity, if we think we're not doing as well. Jesus points out that the values of the kingdom are the polar opposite to the world. Kings like to throw their weight around, and people in authority like to give themselves fancy titles. It's not going to be that way with you. Let the senior among you become like the junior. Let the leader act the part of the servant. I've taken my place among you as the one who serves. As we look at the parts played by each of the people in this drama, we see once again that the Bible teaches both predestination, that God has planned everything in advance, and free will. This is a mystery that the scriptures hold in tension 
and we are rightly suspicious when any human system attempts to explain it away one way or the other. In this passage, we see three examples of how this tension operates in practice. First, Judas. We see here a terrifying description of how evil works. No one is immune from temptation. Judas is one of Jesus' chosen twelve, yet Satan enters him. Jesus says that all this was foreknown and indeed predestined. The Son of Man will go as has been decreed. But the fact that it is foreknown and predestined does not absolve Judas of responsibility. But woe to that man who betrays him. The paradox is that although it has been decreed, Judas is a free agent. Judas' will was involved. When he was offered money to betray Jesus, Judas consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over. Second, Simon Peter. The same Satan who entered Judas wanted to sift Peter as wheat. Peter was very confident that he would not let Jesus down. Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus knew that Peter would fall. I tell you, Peter, before the cock crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. But ultimately his faith did not fail. Jesus said, but I prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. This shows that in the midst of this extraordinary paradox of predestination and free will, prayer really does make a difference. Why and how it works, we may never understand. However, the example of Jesus shows that it really does count. Your prayers do make a difference. Third, Jesus. Supremely in the life and death of Jesus, we see this paradox of predestination and free will. Jesus says the Son of Man will go as it has been decreed. He says it is written, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And I tell you, that this must be fulfilled in me. Yes, what is written about me is reaching its fulfillment. There could not be a stronger statement that Jesus' death was preordained, preplanned and predestined. Yet, Jesus went willingly to his death. He chose to die. He gave his body for us. We see the balance between God's part and our part. We are reminded of it every time we take communion. Jesus said, This is my body given for you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. That was the hard part, the sacrifice of his life voluntarily given for us. Our part is relatively simple. Do this in remembrance of me. Lord, thank you that you've done all this for me. Thank you that you gave your body and shed your blood for me. Thank you for your gracious hand in my life. Old Testament from Joshua 3 to 5 Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the Ark. Do not go near it. 
Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so that they may know that I am with you, as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, When you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Joshua said to the Israelites, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you, and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. See, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe, and as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the ark of the covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is in flood all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan, and their feet touched the water's edge. The water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarathen, while the water flowing down to the sea of the Araba, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground, while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. Joshua chapter 4 When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing and carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the twelve men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, to serve as a sign among you. In the future... When your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. So the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. They took twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites as the Lord had told Joshua and they carried them over with them to their camp where they put them down. Joshua set up the twelve stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan at the spot where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood and they are there to this day. Now the priests who carried the Ark 
remained standing in the middle of the Jordan until everything the Lord had commanded Joshua was done by the people, just as Moses had directed Joshua. The people hurried over, and as soon as all of them had crossed, the ark of the Lord and the priests came to the other side while the people watched. The men of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh crossed over, ready for battle, in front of the Israelites, as Moses had directed them. About forty thousand armed for battle crossed over before the Lord to the plains of Jericho for war. That day the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they stood in awe of him all the days of his life, just as they had stood in awe of Moses. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Command the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant Law to come up out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priests, Come up out of the Jordan. And the priests came up out of the river carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. No sooner had they set their feet on the dry ground than the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and ran in flood as before. On the tenth day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan and camped to Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the twelve stones they had taken out of the Jordan. He said to the Israelites, In the future, when your descendants ask their parents, What do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. Joshua chapter 5 Now when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until they had crossed over, their hearts melted in fear, and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at Gibeah Haraloth. Now this is why he did so. All those who came out of Egypt, all the men of military age, died in the wilderness on the way after leaving Egypt. All the people that came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness during the journey from Egypt had not. The Israelites had moved about in the wilderness for forty years until all the men who were of military age when they left Egypt had died, since they had not obeyed the Lord. For the Lord had sworn to them, that they would not see the land that he had solemnly promised their ancestors to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So he raised up their sons in their place, and these were the ones Joshua circumcised. They were still uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. And after the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained where they were in camp until they were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the place has been called Gilgal to this day. On the evening of the fourteenth day of the month, while camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, 
the Israelites celebrated the Passover. The day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites, but that year they ate the produce of Canaan. God will do amazing things. Do you realize that God is with you? And if God is with you, then you can face every challenge that lies ahead. God says to Joshua, I am with you as I was with Moses. Again, we see here the balance between our part and God's part. First, prepare yourselves. God was about to act in a miraculous way on behalf of his people but the people themselves had a part to play. Joshua tells the people to prepare themselves, sanctify yourselves. Tomorrow, God will work miracle wonders among you. They were also given the task of choosing people to play particular roles in preparation for the crossing of the Jordan. Second, provision of God. We see again the gracious hand of God. The Lord did amazing things. One of these amazing things was the crossing of the Jordan. God promised to exalt Joshua. Joshua did not exalt himself. But that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel. He provided for all the people's needs. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites. But that year, they ate of the produce of Canaan. God provided as much as they needed and no more. This kept them from material security and self-sufficiency and perhaps from not trusting in God. Your security and trust must be in God alone. He has always provided enough, but no more. Thank you, Lord, for the astounding way in which you involve me in your plans. I consecrate myself to you today. Thank you that you promise that you will do amazing things in me and provide for all my needs. Pepper adds, In Luke 22, verse 24, this theme of being the greatest keeps coming up. The disciples were jostling for power. It seems so inappropriate when disaster was about to strike. They should have been getting instructions from Jesus. At this stage, it didn't look as though any of them would become great leaders but they did. This gives hope to us all.